This is Incredible Stories Podcast, Episode 4, Baseball's Shortest at Bat. Hello again, listeners. I'm Zane Wind. And I'm Josh Virila, and this is Incredible Stories Podcast, where we're bringing you incredible stories involving human achievement, odd history, and even a touch of paranormal. All incredible and all true. Zane, what's new with you today? Uh, not much. Um, I'm really excited about our uh, topic today. It's kind of uh, delving with baseball, obviously. Um, I actually mm-hmm. had a really fun weekend where, uh, so I'm a big fan of the Atlanta Braves. And they are, of course, getting a new stadium next year. And so they had a beer festival on Turner Field, uh, their old stadium. And so I got to run the bases, just walk around the whole field, sit in the dugout while having some delicious beers. So it was, it was really incredible. I mean, pretty much a once in a lifetime, uh, uh, thing for me. And it was pretty much a dream come true. Oh, that's fun. I, you know, I'm glad, uh, glad you had enjoyed yourself this weekend. Yeah. Um, see, I, I, I didn't do anything nearly as exciting, but, uh, I, I do enjoy, uh, October because as, uh, as an artist, uh, it is Inktober, mm-hmm. which is a kind of a fun little challenge I like to do on Twitter where I draw one picture a day and, uh, you know, it kind of improves my skills and it's fun to yeah. do. If you like drawing, I recommend people get on board with it. What'd you, uh, draw today? Uh, today I drew uh, a panda bear <laughs> that is kind of combined with the Heath Ledger Joker. Oh my god, that's horrifying. <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, you know, it's a panda's endangered stat status. I guess is horrifying. Well, you know, if I recall correctly, they were off the endangered species list from a, from our previous podcast. But still, well, yeah, it, you it know. could work for the Halloween thing too. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, a little bit of that. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. I need to get back into that as well. I know you kind of inspire me to uh, get back into drawing, but I need to actually get back, back, back into it. <laughs> Just I get distracted so easily. Well, before we go into our main topic of the evening, I have breaking news. Ah, snap. What's going on? It's breaking headlines. Headlines, headlines 120. Yes, it is. Where both of us will have 120 seconds each to tell you about interesting and weird news. Alrighty, Josh, you are on the clock. All right. Well, see, my first headline: humans may not be able to live past 125. Ooh. So I guess scientists have been kind of looking into the science of longevity, and they've come to the determination that under our current progress, it doesn't look like humans will be able to live past the age of 125. And um, they say, you know, our average life expectancy has been going up, but it seems to kind of been plateauing as of okay. late. And and a lot of that has to do with the DNA casing. And we can't really go much longer because the, the thing that protects the DNA, the little cap is kind of like the end of a shoelace. Uh-huh. It, um, it deteriorates and that allows people to get older, you know, getting wrinkly and weaker bones right. and stuff. So until we can crack that code and how to keep that cap on the DNA longer then we're probably not going to see people live past 125. And and I think the oldest person on record was 122. And uh, we haven't been able to really get much past that. I bet his last words were, just kill me! Kill me! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. But um, you know what's killed right now is my time. All right. 
Uh, good for a story. Um, let me know when I can go. And go. All right. Russian meteorologists are trapped by polar bears 2,800 miles from Moscow. Mm. And we have uh, five meteorologists uh, posted on a remote Russian island. And uh, they've just been trapped for nearly two weeks um, on their little base by polar bears who have kind of swarmed the area. Their weather station is uh, on one of the, forgive my pronunciation, Vetsky Tsik Islands. That's my Russian accent. (laughs) That was perfect. Um, That was perfect, actually. Uh, In the high Arctic, uh, 28,000 miles, um, or 2,800 miles from Moscow, and closer to northern Canada, actually, than the Russian capital. Bears are not uncommon in the area, um, you know, which is surrounded by a pack of ice in the winter, but the local population has more than doubled this year to be around a dozen. All right. Yeah, so not too much, but a lot for the area and a lot for these meteorologists. And so what they would usually do, they would use flares to kind of scare off the beast, but unfortunately they ran out, um, so they kind (laughs) of had to, they're waiting for a resupply from a nearby ship that's going to come in, so they're kind of... They're kind of stuck inside. They can't be going or going outside. It'll be a nice, lovely snack for these polar bears. Well, rule one of Arctic travel, always bring enough flares. Yes, for sure. Time on you, Zane. So my next story, a weird patch of cold earth in China stays frozen through blazing summers. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of a odd anomaly, I guess you could say, because um, everyone's heard of permafrost, right? Up in the Arctic Circle, it's where the ground stays frozen year-round for the mm-hmm. most part. Well, there's this little piece of Earth in China, which is below the Arctic Circle, uh, a good a good ways. They, they can't figure out why it stays permafrost all year, because the, the temperatures during the summertime... Um, gets above 80 degrees, so it should be thawing out. Well, what they determined was that they think that the the makeup of the soil is such that the top layer is, has like a peat moss type of uh-huh. stuff, and underneath the layer there is kind of um, gravelly, porous rock. So they think when it it just it's positioned just so that allows the heat to escape to during. They have to rise up, but keeps the cold in over the winter. So it's like a good, it's kind of like um, a Yeti thermos, I guess, a natural Yeti oh, thermos. Wow, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> nice, nice Yeti thermos. Yeti thermos, Yeti ground. <laughs> and Yeti, again, it's your turn. All right. Hurricane Matthew uncovers Civil War era cannonballs. Oh, <laughs> I think I saw this somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, of course, uh, Hurricane Matthew uh, went up to the Caribbean and went on the eastern coast of Florida and uh, South Carolina. And basically, off of the South Carolina coast, Civil War era cannonballs have been uh, discovered. Um, they kind of got uh, washed up on Folly Beach, and they had to be detonated, of course. A local resident came across the cannonballs while walking on the beach on Sunday morning. Chief Andrew Gilreath, director of public safety, uh, told CNN. And um, he said, you can see that there's the fuse holes are still in these balls, so they're still pretty well intact. You fuse hole. Yes, yes. An erosion caused by the storm unearthed the ordinance. Well, it, this is an ordinance area, um, but they kind of like, they kind of like floated up into a non-residential area, which is good. But uh, thankfully, uh, Air Force uh, explosive teams came in, Charleston County explosive teams, and they were able to detonate these. Some were detonated on the scene because I'm sure they were too dangerous to kind of move, and some were taken to a Navy base for destruction. 
Ah, very timely and well wrapped up just in time to yes. leave people wanting more. But yeah, that's a cool story, Zane. I, I like that. You know, it's always interesting finding yeah, some Yeah, it's stuff too bad. Like, up. none of it could be really kept uh, for historic purposes, but you gotta keep people safe. And uh, my final story, Great Mysterious Balls of Fire, Speed by Dying Star. So, you know, in space, there's a lot of weird stuff going on. And uh, to kind of keep with your um, cannonball. The whole the whole ball, the ball theme, balls. The ball thing, yeah, the balls of stuff. Uh, so there's this star, and uh, when the star orbits a certain way, it sends out these high-speed blobs of plasma. And the scientists thought it was kind of a mystery. Couldn't quite figure out why, where these balls were coming from exactly, because this the star shouldn't be producing it. Well, they they kind of think it has a companion star, and as it orbits closer to this its other its bigger star, it kind of siphons off all of its energy. And as it's going around the star, it slingshots out these balls of plasma, uh, and they're coming at you know wherever they're, the direction they're going in very fast. Think of it, it's going as fast as it could go from the Earth to the moon in about 30 minutes. So usually it takes us humans about two weeks, I think, to get there. But uh, yeah, that's I thought that was neat. In space, they have those balls of fire. Space. Balls of fire. High velocity. Space is terrifying. (laughs) That's all I'm just going to say about that. It is. And my time running out is also terrifying. And here I go. Finally, speaking of space, we have an update of when we are going to go to Mars. I've been waiting for this since I was a kid. They told me like 2011 is when we would go, and obviously that hasn't happened yet. (laughs) But President Barack Obama, uh, he wants to send humans to Mars by uh, in the 2030s. The U.S. is partnering with private firms to send astronauts on deep space missions to better help understand how humans can eventually live far away from Earth. The president said, I'm, exi- I'm excited to announce that we are working with our commercial partners to build new habitats that can sustain and transport astronauts on long duration missions in deep space, Ob- Obama said. These uh, missions will teach us how humans can live far away from Earth, something we will need for the long journey to Mars. I'm glad we're finally, you know, getting this going. And, you know, really, it's going to be these private firms, SpaceX, Elon Musk, who are really going to lead the way. Because NASA, they always have the budget concerns. So I'm really excited that uh, this is really moving forward. It's been a dream of mine to really see us finally land on Mars and bring uh, some astronauts back home safely and eventually maybe colonize Mars. Well, you know, fortunately by that time, we'll both be old and geezerly. So we probably, unless they figure out that uh, human aging thing, we probably won't have much chance of going to Mars. We won't. Yeah, but But, I mean, as long as I can just see it, you know, uh, see like, people land it via TV or via hologram, then I'll be happy. Well, you know what makes me happy is that the headlines nice, nice are wrapped up now. So, but, but you know, Zane, those, those headlines were pretty interesting. But Zane, I hunger for something more. What do you got for us today? How about the story of the shortest at-bat in MLB history? Mm. Namely, the story about Eddie Goodell. You know, baseball loves stats, you know, from the longest to the shortest. It's a major part of its history, and of course, stats are a big part of MLB lore. So that means, of course, there will be an incredible baseball story to talk about. Mm -hmm. So today's episode is going to focus on Eddie Goodell, aka the shortest person 
ever to play in the big leagues. Ah, I see what you did there. Yeah, the shortest, shortest at bat. At yeah, bat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, okay. Edward Carl Goodell was born on June 8th, 1925, and was diagnosed early on with dwarfism. To make ends meet in his early life, Goodell worked a variety of jobs, including being a riveter during World War II. Um, so during his size, or uh, due to his size, excuse me, he was able to crawl inside the wings of military airplanes to make repairs and all sorts of adjustments. But also, you know, he had, so he got money that way, but he got a little bigger. Kind of like a little gremlin, right? A little gremlin, yes, a little gremlin. But uh, he was yeah. being productive and he was actually helping our plane stay up during World War II. Okay, as opposed to tearing apart. Yes, yes, yes those little <laughs> little bastards. So as Goodell got older, um, he, um, he became a professional performer to get some more gigs. Mm-hmm. And he was represented by the American Guild of Variety Artists. That's A-G-V-A, where he landed a good gig with Mercury Records in 1946. Ah, yes, the, the A-G-V-A, for, for our listeners, uh, just a little thing about them. That was the acting guild responsible for representing some of the quirkier uh-huh. acts in Hollywood, such as Little People, Circuses, Las Vegas Showrooms, Cabarets, Magic Shows, those type of things. And, of course, his agency got um, this perfect type of quirky role uh, where he was able to play the Mercury Man, where he wore a winged hat uh, similar to that of the Mercury Records label logo for uh, record promotions. Oh, uh, yeah, I've seen I think, uh, I've seen that. It's it's kind of cute. And check out our show notes. We'll have a link to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's pretty famous. Um. And um, some early uh, Mercury recordings uh, featured a character from him as the logo, so that's probably the image pops out in your mind. Now, before he got to the MLB, uh, he worked at a place in Chicago, and Chicago was um, his favorite home. Of course, he was born there, um, so he definitely stayed in the area. He did all his gigs there. And he got um, employed at this bar called the Midget Club, um, and that's where they employed (laughs) little people. And, you know, back then... uh, you know, the word midget wasn't as offensive in today's, uh, well, in today's PC culture, of course, it's fame. It's pretty offensive. Oh, yeah, yeah. But um, that was kind of more the norm back then. Like, I mean, people just call them midget little people, and they were kind of, they were kind of more of a laughing stock. Um, and hen- oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, hence why they, you know, they were using so many promotion gigs. Um, and it was all for pure entertainment. Oh yeah, uh, and you know, you know, an interesting thing uh, about the the Midget Club uh, was was founded by one of the Munchkin sh- soldiers from the Wizard of Oz. Oh, okay. but it closed it in 1982. Okay, okay. Well, that lasted a pretty long time too. It did, but if you want to go there now, uh, you can't see it. Okay, it's completely like just like gone and all that. Yeah, um, I think there's something that kind of replaced it, but it's it's not. It's definitely not the Midget Club. So. Okay, yeah, yeah, that would not be going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, you may wonder, how did uh, Mr. Goodell go from the Mercury Records um, to a midget bar to Major League Baseball? I was wondering that. Yes, yes. It's quite a journey. It's pretty impressive. Well, back in 1951, the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team, um, they were actually called the St. Louis Browns at this time. Their owner, Bill Veek, was a showman who enjoyed producing public stunts during these games. So he actually, you know, he liked to hire little people a good amount for his promotions. So he found Goodell through AGVA and secretly signed him to the St. Louis Browns and had a uniform with the number uh, one-eighth uh, printed <laughs> on the back. Clever. Yes. Clever. Very <laughs> hilarious. Uh, I bet this guy was a sleazeball week. 
But, you know, he oh, yeah. he was the owner of the Browns at this time. And so for his, for uh, Goodell's MLB de- debut on August 19th, 1951, Goodell, by the way, was only 65 pounds and stood at a massive hmm. 3 foot 7 inches tall. Um, so what happened? Um, Goodell came out uh, for the big reveal, came out of this paper mache cake between games of a double header to celebrate the American League's 50th anniversary. Okay. Sounds tasty. Sounds, yes, sounds delicious. And the stunt was also used as a Falstaff brewery promotion. So this Veep guy was all about the promotions. You know, apparently uh, the Browns, they were always in last place, so he was doing whatever he could do to get the fans to come to the to the games and do all these free That's the promotions. Browns for you. Yeah, Browns. <laughs> I mean, they're not having much more success as a Cleveland football team. No. <laughs> and so uh, uh, Falstaff Brewery and the fans that were there have been promised a festival of surprises by V. Before the second game uh, got underway, the press who were covering the events agreed that this midget in a cake little you know gag was not <laughs> not really up to Veek's usual promotional standard because he was he's pretty well known for being Pro, uh, over the a top. good promoter yeah a good promoter over yeah. the top you know he was making sure the fans had fun but kind of like oh okay well we just have a little guy just coming through a cake whoop de doo I mean this is the American League's 50th anniversary we want something big we want something yeah. big for our you know uh, one of the oldest leagues in baseball but. Uh, Veek had a, he had a little he had a little plan here. Mm-hmm. So the Valstaff personnel, who had been promised uh, national publicity for their participation in their promotion, were particularly dissatisfied. And keeping the surprise he had in store for the second game to himself, Veek he just meekly apologized and acted like, "Oh, you know, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I should have done some more." But his big surprise finally came during the second half of the doubleheader when Goodell came in to pinch hit in the bottom of the first inning. Ooh. Now, um, immediately, umpire Ed Hurley called for Browns manager Zach Taylor. Um, you know, he's probably like, okay, what is going on? We got to keep the integrity of the game. And so Veek and Taylor had the foresight. So that's the coach for the Browns and Veek, the owner, had the foresight to have a copy of Goodell's contract on hand, as well <laughs> as a copy of the Browns' active roster which had room for Goodell to put on the team. So, Veek knew what he was doing. He was, he, okay, sly. He was sly. Very sly. And this shows how even more sly he was, this little little rat. He actually uh, was <laughs> sneaky with the contract. He filed it late on Friday, August 17th, and it wouldn't be scrutinized until Monday the 20th, the day after Goodell's MLB debut. So this game was on Sunday. Oh, so he kind of does what like news media does, uh, push out the, the crazy stories on Friday when no one's paying attention. Yes, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Like all, Maybe that's where it started from. Kind of like all these emails that are coming out right now, the State Department releases, and no one notices because, well, we had like hurricanes going on. So, yep, it's it's been used for a long time. But umpire uh, Ed Hurley, he looked over the, the paperwork and the contract, and he said everything was was good to go. So... Eddie Goodell was allowed to take his place in the batter box. Zeke Roberts here. Welcome back, Browns fans. Joining us and more than 18,000 gents and ladies at Sportsman's Park for this second game of our doubleheader between your St. Louis Browns and the Detroit Tigers on this 50th anniversary of the American League. 
As you may know, we had to take a quick break from the bottom of the first inning because we actually had a very unusual switch hitting substitution. What's the inside scoop, Joshy's scoops? Well, Zeke, it appears the St. Louis Browns have substituted leadoff batter Frank Saucier for a rookie player. This just in, this player is named Eddie Goodell, and he stands at only 3 feet 7 inches. Hot diggity! Oh my, that's definitely a first, ladies and gentlemen. Umpire Ed Hurdley, he does not look happy, but the crowd is loving this. Ruckus, slaughter of joy and delight thunders throughout the stadium. As of now, folks, Mr. Hurley is going over what looks like contract papers with Browns manager Zach Taylor. Detroit pitcher Bob Kane is on the mound and is totally beside himself with laughter. And so is everyone else. Oh well, look here, Zeke. Looks like the umpire and the Browns coaching staff only had a short meeting. <laughs> I see what you did there, you rapscallion. What quick wit. Yes, indeed. It seems umpire Ed Hurley has approved of the paperwork and is letting this Eddie Goodell step up to the plate. Gee golly, Zeke. Look, he's holding three toy bats befitting of a raggedy doll. And he's in a Bat Boys uniform. How do you like that? Oh, and the crowd is going bonkers as Goodell, number one eighth, steps up and while pitcher Kane is trying to get control of himself. It seems that Goodell is zooming a tight crowd to the plate. Oh, wait! Would you look at that? He's impersonating Joe DiMaggio's batting stance. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> that is one way to start the second game of a doubleheader. It looks like Kane has composed himself and he's ready to pitch. He looks serious. I wouldn't want to be the first pitcher in baseball to give up a hit to this rook. Yes, you might say that. Kane's career might be cut short. Ha-ha! <laughs> 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 oh, okay, okay, okay. Here's the first pitch. Ball one. I have horse. Kane is still going through the motions professionally, treating this like a playoff situation. What a pro. Kane winds, and here's the delivery. Ball two. It's low. Just kidding. High and outside. <laughs> what is this? A strike zone for ants? <laughs> it's going to be hard for Kane to throw this rookie a strike. Ball three. And Kane just lobbed that in. I think he's given up. And we're getting a steady mix of cheers and jeers. Seems like half of the fans want to see him walk, but other half wants to see him home run. My money's on the homer. And now we'll see which fans will get their wish. Here's a pitch. And it's ball four. Kane didn't try again. So, Goodell's taking his base. And wahoo, Goodell actually is bowing to the crowd as he trots at first. And he's done it twice. Would you look at that? All the fans are giving Goodell a standing ovation. This is incredible. It is quite clear that no one will have a tiny memory of this game. Ah, <laughs> you dog, you. Now, Manager Taylor is going to the pitching mound for a chat with the amused Kane. Let's go to this short commercial break. Ha ha! <laughs> so, that was the thrilling at bat for Goodell. Um, and there was actually a, a little drama with how this at bat was going to take place. Uh, Vic, the owner, uh, didn't want Goodell to swing at all, actually. He warned Goodell that he had taken a $1 million insurance policy on his life, and he would be prepared to shoot Goodell with his sniper rifle if he attempted to swing. <laughs> Goodell, you know, probably like myself, almost got lost in the moment and looked like he would have definitely swung once he got in that DiMaggio pose. 
Oh, yeah, who doesn't? Yeah, yeah. And as you probably guessed, the higher-ups in the MLB were not happy with this stunt that Vic had pulled. Wait, 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 Zane. Uh, who won the game? Detroit Tigers, unfortunately. Six to two. Ah, okay. All right. Continue on. So the higher-ups with the MLB, including American League President Will Herridge, said Vic made a mockery of the game and voided Goodell's contract the next day. No! Yes. In response, Vic threatened to request an official ruling on whether Yankee, current Yankee shortstop and reigning MVP Phil Risotto, who was at 5 feet 6 inches, was he a short ball player or a tall dwarf? <laughs> so, with all his promotions, he was also good at kind of leveraging himself and making sure he got what he wanted. You know what I mean? He's kind of a funny guy. Yeah, he's, he's slick for sure. Yeah. So, initially, Major League Baseball struck Adele from its record books, as if he had not been in the game. He was re-enlisted a year later, however, as a right-handed batter and left-handed thrower, although he did not play in the field at all. Eddie Goodell finished his major league career with an on-base percentage of 1,000. Wow! That's better than a Babe Ruth. Yes, that's perfection, actually. So, <laughs> Whoa! He was amazing. Unheard of. I don't know why he didn't get to, to play more. No, yeah. And he, uh, so actually, uh, for, um, for his, uh, like, you know, game contract, he earned a total of $100 for his MLB appearance. Which in, uh, today's money is like a billion dollars. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty good. Not bad. And it, it got better for him, actually. Um, he was able to turn, uh, this little baseball fame he got into more than $17,000 for appearing at other several television shows around the Chicago area. The thing is, uh, Goodell, he could have earned more. Uh, it's probably a lot more if he chose to fly around the country or travel more places. But he loved his uh, home city of Chicago so much hmm. that he just kind of wanted to stay in that area, you know, that state, and, you know, not really go anywhere else. Okay. But, as you can probably guess, uh, Goodell's major league career lasted just that one plate appearance. Yep, sorry, Goodell. But uh, Vic, he did continue to employ Goodell in uh, non-playing promotions over the years. In 1959, Goodell and three other dwarfs actually dressed as spacemen and we're seen presenting <laughs> ray guns to the White Sox players, Nellie Fox and uh, Louise uh, Paracio um, at Kaminsky Park. Okay. Well, sure. Yes. Why not? Ray guns? Yeah. The, I mean, makes sense. It's, a pain, it's a paying gig. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and later, uh, Vic, who uh, by that time, he had become the owner of the Chicago White Sox. Okay. Uh, he hired several, several dwarves and midgets, including Adele, as vendors. So as not to block the fans' view of the game. You know, that's considerate. So he, that is, it is. Really it is. He's employing uh, these little people, and he's being considerate of his fans. So I, when you go to a baseball game now, you got these uh, tall guys in like highlight like colored shirts, yeah, with big popcorn, you know, little uh, shelf things or whatever. It's really, especially the the cotton candy guys. Those guys are obnoxious. Yeah, they're the tallest. They are the tallest. F them, man. Well, okay, all right. Got a little <laughs> mad about that, but you know, do what you don't. Six dollars for a cotton candy—that's outrageous. Yeah. You can make it at home yourself for like three three cents. Yeah, that—I that, mean, it's true. It does get you mad how expensive these prices are. But um, one thing that also, uh, you know, kind of gets me angry is unfortunately things got hard for Goodell. And on uh, June eighth or June eighteenth, nineteen sixty-one, uh, Goodell was now unemployed. Yeah, he just turned 36, so that's not really a fun birthday for unemployed. Down on his luck. 
Um, and he was at a bowling alley in Chicago, his, like I said, his birthplace and hometown. And one kind of infamous part about Goodell um, that he was known to, you know, friends and family was that he was kind of a drinker and he would kind of, he would go to bars and he would drink too much and he would get in fights. And um, I feel most people at this time were, were drinkers. <laughs> a lot of people were, yeah. I just, I mean, everyone's like, what else are you going to do? Life's hard. I'm gonna drink. Yeah, you know we don't we don't have iPods yet. Let's just drink. You know what sure. I mean? Sure. What else? What else? <laughs> iPods. Kind of dated myself. <laughs> Anyways, uh, 1999. The newest <laughs> iPod is out. And promoted by Veek or whatever, <laughs> whatever his first name was. Um. Well, unfortunately uh, for Goodell, um, looks like he got a little too braggy or too confrontational at this bowling alley. So he was stumbling home drunk. And these thugs came up to him, and they beat him up, and they mugged him, and they really injured him badly. Somehow, uh, Eddie, he, I guess he crawled back to his house, stumbled back, um, and his mother um, actually found him. He was living in his family's house, um, and he had bruises all about his knees and on the left side of his face. Mm. Um, and a coroner's uh, inquest determined that he had also suffered a heart attack. And so that ultimately led to his demise. Sure, yeah, why not? Although I would think the beating was more so for it. <laughs> yeah, it probably definitely led to it. Um, and I don't know, a stressful life. Yeah. I think, yeah, down on his luck. Sorry, Eddie. <laughs> yeah. But at least uh, one little, uh, you know, glimmer of uh, kind of just a nice thing was, uh, Josh, do you remember... Uh, Bob Kane, he was the the pitcher who actually pitched to uh Ah uh, yes, yes. His his uh his one opponent. All right, yes. Well, uh he was actually the only uh, major league baseball figure, albeit a player or um just like a CEO or anyone like that involved in MLB to attend his funeral. Well, that's nice of him. Sad I guess for everyone else, but mm-hmm. I mean I guess yeah. he didn't really have a big um uh, a big following. I mean he was just kinda like a little sideshow. Uh, but right, but you know right. I did read that Bob Kane and him uh, kind of like during the last ten years of his life, uh, they were kind of friends and they would exchange uh, oh, okay. Christmas cards yearly. Oh, okay, so they kind of like yeah, uh, they, started a friendship. Yeah, they kind of had a unique bond, I guess. Okay, that's pretty cool. That's it's kind of a nice little happy note on top of that. Yeah, kind of sad and sad darkness. But um, actually, uh, Goodell's legacy has lived on. Uh, Goodell's one-day career has been the subject of uh, countless TV programs on ESPN and the MLB Network. He was mentioned by name in the lyrics of uh, Terry Cashman's homage to 1950s baseball. Uh, it was called Talkin' Baseball. It was done by uh, Willie, Mickey, and, and the Duke. Hmm. His at-bat was the number one choice on a 1999 list of unusual and unforgettable moments um, in baseball history. Uh, published by the Sporting News. And uh, due to its scarcity, uh, Goodell's autograph uh, now sells for $7,000. So that's that's a pretty high price. And mm-hmm. there's actually, um, there's a couple uh, rumors or so that, it, you know, it could sell more than Babe Ruth's, which is pretty incredible. I don't believe that one at all. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But I mean, it's, um, you know, his... His uh, contribution to MLB baseball lore is pretty uh, pretty incredible, but yeah, I would say uh, I would say that Babe probably has uh, a little bit more money going on with all his uh, MLB artifacts. <laughs> I, you know I would I mean? think so, yes. <laughs> yeah. But um, 
Goodell, uh, like I said, his legacy, um, it's pretty impactful in, um, in baseball. And it's actually um, in a unique twist. Goodell's grandnephew, Kyle Goodell, is also a professional baseball player. Oh, no way. Right. Um, he, uh, he was drafted by uh, the Tampa, Tampa Bay uh, Rays um, and kind of – but he went to college first and then he went into the minors and he got involved in the San Diego Padres farm system. But so far, he hasn't actually made it to the big leagues. He's 26 right now, so there's time. Okay. But um, I, I hope he can make it because that that'd be funny if his, uh, you know, if his rel, if his, if if other Goodell, if Eddie Goodell yeah. made it one game, and this guy who actually has the talent and he can't get there. Yeah. Uh. But um, it's pretty cool. Um, there's a lot of good MLB and you know just good facts and just good lore to that. So, uh, Josh, uh, what did you think about this incredible story? Uh, you know, it was very interesting and entertaining. I think it was, uh, it, it was uh, kind of a, a unique look on early baseball and kind of the weird stuff they would do to uh, get people to the games. And mm-hmm. this definitely was one of the weirder ones that they've done out there. Uh, I, I think it went a long way, though, in, in baseball to keep it... Um, to, maybe maybe just to say that it kind of led to the ending of this type of promotion uh so made baseball a little bit more serious i know they still did silly things after that but this was kind of like the i guess the silliest point on on the iceberg and um i think it just made baseball clean up its act a little bit afterward right right um but you know those type of promotion at the time were the best way for mlb to get mm-hmm. money, to get fans in, to really get the sport popular. Because it was still kind of, it was big, but, you know, it hadn't reached, like, you know, its apex. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, so. interesting, too, uh, looking in the life on how uh, little people were kind of treated back then. Um, you know, just kind of like as a joke to society. And I really think only, I mean, they've been, I think they're still looked upon that way currently. Uh, but mm-hmm. not as much as they were back then. I mean... Uh, it, it, back then, I mean, just they were the butt of everything's jokes. You could, yeah, you could beat them up in the bar and they'd kill them. I guess <laughs> they didn't really do anything about it. Um, right, right. It was kind of sad. And you know, I from some of the research I did on it, like he, I, I, I think he grew up kind of normal up until like the, around the time he was in elementary school, and then he just kind of stopped growing. And he, right. and he would get really angry because kids would all make fun of him and stuff like that, which probably led to his bad drinking problem oh, yeah. you know being made fun of constantly you can see the writing on the wall and you know what led to kind of how his his life you know went through and all that i'm sure it was it was pretty it was a hard life i mean he had some famous moments mm-hmm. and probably some in- incredible parts about it but yeah hard life for sure yeah just as a novelty though i mean that's kind of i mean that's gotta be really weird going through life is just like a novelty you know and that's yeah uh, i mean god that's kind of depressing i mean I, i'd probably drink a lot too but, but, you know, just to kind of give you some perspective on, on his size, you know, we, we, we mentioned it. He was three foot seven. He was only two inches taller than what a major league baseball bat is, you know, lengthwise. Oh, wow. That's funny. Yeah. So he could have been a baseball bat, I guess. He could have been a baseball bat. He could have been a baseball bat. So. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of, let's get up to bat and let's do some haikus. All right. I love haikus. All right, Zane. Well, I guess I'll go first since uh, I have three haikus, as I've been tending to do lately, because I love my haikus, as you know. They're a poetry nerd. All right, so here's my first haiku. 
Uh, first, the, the Zen music. Uh... Alright. Eeny Weeny Ed played ball professionally, but just for one day. Yep, that, that, that about sums it up. Yeah, it's just <laughs> very, very short and succinct. <laughs> Did you hear me? I was like, oh boy, once you started out like Eeny Weeny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll go for mine. Ed Goodell was short. Shortest to bat in majors. Not a shortstop. <laughs> Why? <laughs> All right. That's <laughs> it's one of those questions we may never know. It's just... Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, Veek really missed out on that like type of approach. Yeah, he really he should have done that. Put him at shortstop. Oh, that would have been good. <laughs> All right. We want a pitcher and not a tiny drunker. No yeah. swing batter. Hey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just like that. No swing better. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I know a little bit of baseball stuff. That's <laughs> yeah, I, 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 sh- I should know more. I played a lot, but I, I forgot about all the little taunting uh, yeah. things you could say, you know? Um, all right, well, I'll go for uh, my last one. Okay. Baseball history is full of stats and tall tales. Not this one. <laughs> ha. <laughs> And I like the hop. So my last syllable was yeah, hop. Yeah, that's very, very good. When in doubt, just make a, make a noise. <laughs> I did that twice. I had like one syllable, like an extra part of a sentence. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my, my final one. I went to the park and little Eddie did walk. That was no small feat. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. With a pun in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it. All right. That was... I think we, we're getting good at these, you know? Yeah, I think we're getting better. You know, we we look forward to any listeners submitting yours to us as well. Well, all right. That's our show for today. Thank you guys for listening. Um, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at IncredPod. And check out our website, IncrediblestoriesPodcast.com. Send us an email. Send us a note. Whatever you want. Send us a haiku. Yeah. And uh, check out our show notes on our website. For Incredible Stories Podcast, I'm Josh. And I'm Zane. And remember, the journey of a thousand tales begins with the first word. Bye. Peace. Peace.